Hello again, this is Tori Kensington talking, and this is the Optimistic Almanac for Tuesday, September 26th, 2017. It's the birthday of Windsor McKay in 1867, the American cartoonist and animator. He's best known for the comic strip Little Nemo that ran from 1905 to 1914, and the animated film Gertie the Dinosaur. From a young age, McKay was a quick, prolific, and technically dexterous artist. He started his professional career making posters and performing for dime museums and began illustrating newspapers and magazines in 1898. He joined the New York Herald in 1903, where he created popular comic strips such as Little Sammy Sneeze and Dream of the Rarebit Fiend. In 1905, his signature strip, Little Nemo in Slumberland, debuted a fantasy strip in an Art Nouveau style about a young boy and his adventurous dreams. The strip demonstrated McKay's strong graphic sense and mastery of color and linear perspective. McKay experimented with the formal elements of the comic strip page, arranging and sizing panels to increase impact and enhance the narrative. McKay also produced numerous detailed editorial cartoons and was a popular performer of Chalk Talks on the vaudeville circuit. McKay was an early animation pioneer. Between 1911 and 1921, he self-financed and animated ten films, some of which only survive as fragments. The first three served in his vaudeville act, Gertie the Dinosaur, was an interactive routine in which McKay appeared to give orders to a trained dinosaur. In his drawings, McKay made bold, prodigious use of linear perspective, particularly in detailed architecture and cityscapes. He textured his editorial cartoons with copious fine hatching and made color a central element in Little Nemo. His comic strip work has influenced generations of cartoonists and illustrators. The technical level of McKay's animation, its naturalism, smoothness, and scale, was unmatched until Walt Disney's feature films arrived in the 1930s. He pioneered in-betweening the use of registration marks, cycling, and other animation techniques that were to become standard. In 1898, McKay began working on the side for the Cincinnati Commercial Tribune, where he learned to draw with a dip pen under the tutelage of Commercial Tribune art room manager Joseph Alexander. He accepted a full-time position there. His many illustrations for the paper displayed his bold use of perspective and masterly hatchwork. In 1900, McKay accepted a position with a higher salary at the Cincinnati Enquirer. There, he produced a prolific number of drawings, did some reporting, and became head of the art department. In his drawings, he began using line thickness to indicate depth and used thick lines to surround his characters in an Art Nouveau-inspired style that became a trademark of his work. McKay's longest-running strip, Dream of the Rarebit Fiend, first appeared in the Evening Telegram in September of 1904. The strip was aimed at an adult audience and had no reoccurring characters. The characters that appeared in the strip would have fantastic, sometimes terrifying dreams, only to wake up in the last panel, cursing the Welsh rarebit they had eaten the night before, which they blamed for bringing on the dream. Rarebit Fiend was so popular that a book collection appeared in 1905. It was adapted to film by Edward S. Porter and the plans were made for a comic opera or musical extravaganza for stage that failed to materialize. 
McKay signed the rare but fiend's strips with the pen name Silas, as his contract required that he not use his real name for his evening telegram work. McKay, quote, got an idea from the rare but fiend to please the little folk. In October of 1905, the full-page Sunday strip Little Nemo in Slumberland debuted in the Herald. Considered McKay's masterpiece, its child protagonist has fabulous dreams interrupted each week with his awakening in the final panel. Nemo's appearance was based on McKay's son Robert. McKay experimented with the formal aspects of the comic page. He made inventive use of timing and pacing, the size and shapes of panels, perspective and architectural and other details. The Herald was considered to have the highest quality color printing of any newspaper at the time. Its printing staff used the Ben Day process for color. And McKay annotated the Nemo pages with precise color schemes for the printers. Impresario F. F. Proctor approached McKay in April of 1906 to perform chalk talks for the vaudeville circuit. For $500 per week, he was to draw 25 sketches in 15 minutes before live audiences as a pit band played a piece called Dream of the Rarebit Fiend. In his Seven Ages of Man routine, he drew two faces and progressively aged them. His first performance was in June of 1906 in a show that also featured entertainer and juggler W.C. Fields. It was a big success, and McKay toured with the show throughout 1907, while managing to complete his comic strip and illustration work on time, often working in hotel rooms or even backstage. As early as 1905, several abortive attempts were made to produce a stage version of Little Nemo. In mid-1907, Marcus Claw and A.L. Ellinger announced they would put on an extravagant Little Nemo show for an unprecedented $100,000 with a score by Victor Herbert and lyrics by Harry Smith. It starred Gabriel Weigel as Nemo, Joseph Cawthorn as Dr. Pill, and Willie B. Van as Flip. Reviews were positive and played to sold-out houses in New York and toured for two seasons. McKay brought his vaudeville act to each city where Little Nemo played. When the Keith Vaudeville Circuit refused McKay to perform in Boston without a new act, McKay switched to the William Morris Circuit with a $100 a week raise in salary. In several cities, McKay brought his son, who, as publicity, sat on a small throne dressed as Nemo. McKay said that he was most proud of his animation work. He completed 10 animated films between 1911 and 1921, and three more were planned. Inspired by the flip books his son brought home, McKay, quote, came to see the possibility of making moving pictures of his cartoons. He claimed to be the, quote, first man in the world to make animated cartoons, although he was actually preceded by such others as James Stewart Blackton and Emile Cool. McKay made 4,000 drawings on rice paper for his first animated short, which starred his Little Nemo characters. They were shot at the Vitagraph Studios under Blackton's supervision. Live-action sequences were added to the beginning and the end of the film, in which McKay bets his newspaper colleagues that in one month he can make 4,000 drawings that move. Among those featured in the live-action sequences were cartoonist George McManus and comic actor John Bunny. Its good reception motivated him to hand-color each of the frames of the originally black-and-white animation. McKay had become frustrated with the Herald, partly over money issues, and partly because he perceived a lack of freedom. He accepted a higher-paying offer in spring of 1911 from Hearst at the New York American and took Little Nemo's characters with him. 
The Herald held the strip's copyright, but McKay won a lawsuit that allowed him to continue using the characters, which he did under the title In the Land of Wonderful Dreams. The Herald was unsuccessful in finding another cartoonist to continue with the original strip. The animated short Gertie the Dinosaur debuted in February of 1914 as part of McKay's vaudeville act. McKay introduced Gertie as, quote, the only dinosaur in captivity and commanded the animated beast with a whip. Gertie seemed to obey McKay, bowing to the audience, eating a tree and a boulder, although she had a will of her own and sometimes rebelled. When McKay admonished her, she cried. McKay consoled her by throwing her an apple, in reality pocketing the cardboard prop apple as a cartoon one simultaneously appeared on the screen. In the finale, McKay walked off stage and reappeared in animated form in the film, and Gertie had carried him away. Producer William Fox's box office attractions obtained distribution rights to a modified version of Gertie that could be played in regular movie theaters. This version was prefaced with a live-action sequence and replaced with the interactive portions with intertitles. Gertie the Dinosaur was McKay's first piece of animation with detailed backgrounds. McKay drew the foreground characters while art student neighbor John Fitzsimmons traced the backgrounds. McKay pioneered the McKay split system of in-betweening in which major poses or positions were drawn first and the intervening frames were drawn after. This relieved tedium and improved the timing of the film's actions. McKay refused the patent his system and was sued in 1914 by animator John Randolph Bray, who took advantage of McKay's lapse by patenting many of McKay's techniques, including their use of registration marks, tracing paper, and the mutoscope action viewer, and the cycling of drawings to create repetitive action. The lawsuit was unsuccessful, and there is evidence that McKay may have countersued. He thereafter received royalty payments from Bray for licensing the technique. In 1966, Woody Gelman discovered the original artwork for many Little Nemo strips at a cartoon studio where McKay's son Robert had worked. Many of the recovered originals were displayed in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. In 1973, Gelman published a collection of Little Nemo strips in Italy. His collection of McKay originals is preserved at the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library Museum at Ohio State University. McKay's work, grounded solidly in his understanding of realistic perspective, presaged the techniques featured in Walt Disney's feature films. Disney paid tribute to McKay in 1955 on an episode of Disneyland. The episode, quote, The Story of Animated Drawing, gave a history of animation and dramatized McKay's vaudeville act with Gertie. Robert McKay was invited to the Disney Studios as a consultant on the episode, where Disney told him, quote, Bob, all this should be your father's. Here's a quote by Nemo from Little Nemo in Slumberland by Windsor McKay on his birthday today. 18,000 miles from the moon is some slide, but I'll get up there again somehow. The Optimistic Almanac is made possible each weekday morning by NPC, the national podcasting company, a 501c3 nonprofit, and is funded by our listeners. Thank you. Research for today's show is by Lexi Caligari. Keep the faith, keep in love, and keep in touch. Mm -hmm.